The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, do you think work is broken differently for men and women? I wonder how it's broken the same way. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Let's Fix Work. I'm Lori Rudiman. Today's guest is Adrienne Murphy. She's from Northern Ireland, and you are in for a treat. This is her first podcast ever, but she's no slouch. Adrienne is a PhD psychologist and a smart one, a business leader and a consultant who helps high-performing professional women align their jobs with their values. So do you know a woman who's opted out of the workforce? I do, plenty of them. Adrienne helps those women opt back in or at the very least go where they want to go. And her common sense approach to careers and to life will help men too. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Adrienne Murphy of Dimitri Murphy and Associates, and we'll see you at the end to wrap things up. Work is broken. So is the way you think about it. Host Lori Rudiman is breaking things down so you can put them back together and make work something you can enjoy. Let's fix work together. With the Let's Fix Work podcast, here's Lori. Hey, everybody. It's Lori Rudiman, and I'm here today with an awesome woman. I can't wait for you to meet her. Her name is Adrienne Murphy, and she's with Dimitri Murphy and Associates. How are you doing today? I'm good, and I'm super excited to be here with you. Oh, it's really my honor. And, you know, I know you shared this with me, but we'll tell everybody as we get started, this is your very first podcast ever. This is my very first podcast ever and amazing to get to do it with Lori. I mean, just kindness and generosity and how you do this. Oh, thank, thank you. you. That No, you're welcome. That's so sweet. Well, listen, I'm a fan of your work. So before we get started talking about how you fix work, I want to just establish a baseline for how you feel about the world of work itself. So I believe that work is broken. And I wonder if you agree or disagree and why. I think the world of work is broken, and I'm going to give you a really concrete example, which is I did a focus group a few weeks ago with a group of women who have pretty much all of them bachelor's and master's degrees. None of them were in the workforce full time. And the focus group was about why not? And the stories were endless. It was conflict of values. It was not enough time in the day. It was not being heard at work. And what I discovered was that outside of the world of income-producing work, they were all doing meaning-making work instead. Wait, what does that mean? What is meaning-making work? Meaning-making work is work where you create an impact and you're not getting any economic value. Oh, I've heard that phrased as emotional labor as well. Is that the same thing? You know, I think it is emotional labor. But on the other hand, what we're seeing is the values of work, the efficiency, the process, the creativity being brought into new realms to do things new ways. Now, some people refer to it as the amplification of the PTA situation, where everything is getting bigger and bigger and bigger, quite simply because of the skill sets being brought. 
So, so before we, before we go down this rabbit hole, um, you dis or you agree that work is broken and you see it being broken with these high performing, high potential women who have opted out of the workforce. And I wonder, uh, as we start this conversation, why don't you tell us how you fix work? How are you attacking this problem and what problems are you solving? So I fix work by working with women like these, women who have opted out, who are trying to figure out how to get back in, or working with women who are in the workforce and want to stay there but are experiencing conflict, or working with, which I love doing, the younger women who are just entering their careers, and they're trying to figure out how do they create a career path where they're less likely to experience dissonance later. Well, that makes sense to me. So you're focused on uh, the growth of women or the development of women, and especially women who have either opted out or who are starting their career journey. Who pays you? How do you earn money doing this? Because I think there are a lot of people out there who think that's a cool job. How do I get your job, Adrian? Yeah. So the women I work with pay me. So when I'm working with a woman who is one of my clients, a director level at one of the big tech companies, and she simply wasn't getting promoted to the next level, and she didn't understand why. And I come at this with two primary thoughts. One is your career is an asset. It's the same as your portfolio. Let's understand what are the inputs and the outputs you want from that particular asset. If you want to become something more than a director, the first thing we need to do is to get you to know yourself. So two things. Career is an asset and know yourself. I love it. So um, I won't ask you to reveal your whole entire process, but, you know, to me, that sounds a little bit like therapy, but you're not giving a therapy session, right? You're working with women on tactical planning or uh, career pathing. What do you, what do you do? I would say both of those. So usually I start with, I like the big five assessments because I think it's super tangible and it doesn't really matter which particular vehicle one uses. One is looking at real situations. Do you get along with people? Do you like crowds? And then you get this report that says you're high in conscientiousness, which is fabulous. But then we sit down and we look at what does that mean? And within that particular grouping, where are you scoring, you know, above the average or below the average? And then I like doing role-playing at that point. So if we take something simple like trust, We start talking about maybe one of the questions or a situation where a feeling of mistrust arose. So you do an assessment and you role play to really understand what these women uh, lack in terms of competencies or skills. But let's dig a little bit deeper than that, because why are these women opting out of the workforce anyway? And I would assume they are women my age, uh, between the ages of 30 and 45, and, and I'm going to make an assumption that they just hate work, right? It's just broken their heart or it's disappointed them or they've had a Me Too moment or potentially they hit the glass ceiling and they couldn't move any further. So wh- what are you hearing from these awesome women who are saying, take this job and shove it? You know, I happen to like poetry and Seamus Heaney is one of my favorite poets. Oh, he amazing, said yeah. that we are hunters and gatherers of values. And what I hear from these women is that they've been out hunting and gathering values. And one day they look in their basket and nobody's playing nice with each other. 
They need to sit down and they need to separate out the values and see which ones are really non-negotiably important to them. They want to continue to be in the work environment, but the conflict and the dissonance, maybe it's a meeting where the language is aggressive that happens at 4.30 in the afternoon, and then they're going home maybe to a cause that they mother, maybe an environmental cause, and they're walking into that meeting with this language and a tone that doesn't feel like them. That is so familiar to me. I think back on my own work experience, and especially when I was working at my last job, Pfizer, I would have this just horrible day where people were mean to one another and there was nothing but politics and vitriolic language. And then I would drive and volunteer at my local animal rescue. (laughs) Puppies and kittens and individuals who just wanted to love on animals. And I used to say to myself, well, work is work because it's so awful. That's why I get a paycheck. And you don't get a paycheck to play with puppies. But I think in between, there's a nice place to play where work doesn't have to be all puppies and kittens and you solve complex problems that are hard, but it doesn't have to be miserable. Yes, and it's being able to separate. We're here to solve complex problems that are hard and we're going to do it in a way that moves all of our values forward collectively. And, you know, I super admire the women from Nike because they said, this isn't working. Work is not working. It's broken. And they gathered their information. They used their voice. They presented it to the executive team in a way where the executive team listened. And then there were next steps. Now, I'm excited about the future of work because of those steps. Know yourself, use your voice, speak with someone who will listen. And if they're not listening, then you make choices about whether to stay or to go. I love that statement because we had a guest on the show a couple weeks ago by the name of Ben Brooks, and he talked about how workers seem to lack a voice. They lack agency. And what I hear you saying is that there's a role for women to be accountable and to actually voice their concerns and to actually take that step and say what's wrong. But I wonder how many women really struggle with finding the words to completely describe what's wrong at work. Because sometimes what's wrong is a mood, it's an attitude, or it's a system that's been around so long that we just lack the language for it. So do you have any advice for women in the working world who are really struggling to articulate why work sucks? What What should they be doing? What should they be thinking about right now? The advice that I give women in that situation is before you go into a meeting or before you start your day, take 10 minutes and run through it in your mind. Not the mechanics and not the meetings, but from an emotional perspective. What's causing you anxiety? What's making you feel relaxed? And then at the end of the day, do the reverse. Go through your day and see if those two things matched. And the reason I suggest that is because we're all born with emotional experiences before we're given words. And if we can learn how to sit with the emotions for long enough, words come to us. That is so absolutely lovely and so accurate. I think what you're talking about is a real intentional, de-escalated, mindful approach to analyzing our own experiences as employees. And that would be good for both men and women. (laughs) (laughs) 
right for everybody. <laughs> and I just think this part of it is really funny because we're hearing a lot of information about unconscious bias. And unconsciousness is just knowledge that hasn't been given words. God, so I it's, love that. Yeah, yeah. It's experiences that we've had that we either choose to not give words to because we're afraid that that makes them real or we genuinely haven't sat with them for long enough to give them words. And I believe in unconscious bias. And I think this is one of the reasons I love working with women and then bumping into men is because the women say to me, you are allowing me to bring my whole life experience into work. You're letting it be okay that I let men pay when I'm out at dinner and in a way, I'm doing that to protect their ego. <laughs> I'm participating in unconscious bias. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just that the guy thinks that he should pay. It's that I am fully participating in co-creation. And I don't, I don't know if we have time for this, but this, this one moment in Legally Blonde fascinates me when the boss lawyer asked the, the intern lawyer to get him coffee. And she's frustrated. Like, why should I get you coffee? Why shouldn't it be a guy? What fascinates me is she brings him a lovely cup of coffee. And I'm like, you know what? If that was me, I would have put way too much sugar in the coffee. <laughs> and you then, know, I, I've never seen the movie Legally Blonde, okay. to be honest with you. <laughs> but I can imagine it, right? We go along with this request uh, and we don't know why, right? You know, or we do yeah. it, but we just get hung up in our minds. And that's where the action ends. Uh, we have a conversation with ourselves, and it goes nowhere. And it That's goes crazy. nowhere. Yeah. And, and I think in conversation with women, like this particular woman I was working with regarding trust, at the end of it, it was like, well, you know what? I just don't like strategy people. They come up with ideas and they don't have to implement them. And then I have to do all the work. And I'm like, okay, so this is good. Now we know where some of the aggression in your meetings is coming from. So how about we do this one? Why don't you go take some strategy classes? Why don't you learn a little bit about how hard it is? And two, why don't you start speaking your mind about the risks in strategy? Oh, I love that. And it also empowers and enables your client to remove herself from the role of victim at work to yeah. the role of participant. You know, this uh, idea keeps coming up in all of my podcasts around learned helplessness and how people don't try because they're, they just assume it's going to go wrong or they're going to fail mm. or nobody's going to listen to them. But I think the onus is still on the worker to try to voice their concern, to be an active participant in their own employment experience. And I love that you're reinforcing that. Yes. And I think if we look at work, we have an enterprise that has a lot of knowledge about itself and its goals. And then we have individual workers. Success is dependent on cooperation between those two. And I feel that in the past, workers have assumed the enterprise is taking care of them. And I think the difference is when you walk into work and understand that you have mutually dependent but different needs, and you're willing to voice your own needs and evaluate the same way, again, going back to a portfolio, should I be moving in or out of energy right now? Is this still a good company to work for? How are their financials? What am I bringing in myself to work? And is this 
still a good place for me to be. Smart. So smart. Well, listen, before we take a break, I would like to know how you know you're making a difference and how you know you're fixing work. What feedback do you get? How do you know you're successful? I'm successful when a client gets what they've told me they want, which might be a promotion. I'm also successful when a client says, I don't want what I thought I wanted. I'm going to go in this direction instead. And they call back in six months and they say, that's exactly where I wanted to be. This is where I want to be. My values are playing nice with each other in the basket. And I'm like, okay, we'll give it a year, you know, because things are going to change. Um, and with the younger women, I just love that they call me and they say, I particularly like supporting clients in an onboarding process where they're joining a new organization and they're bringing their old self into it. And a client will call and say, I'm running into this situation and I don't know how to use my voice. And we do a quick, I call it just in time coaching. You know, I call it the call option, just in time coaching where they can call and say, this is going on. And then we talk through it. They come back to me two weeks later and tell me I did it and it worked and I haven't needed to call you for two weeks. And pretty good. Pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. And it's just a great feeling. I bet. I bet. Well, Adrienne, when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the future of work, uh, what's surprising you, what you like, what you don't like. And then we'll also ask you to leave some advice for the women and the men who are listening about how they can take ownership of their careers and really maximize the hard work that they put in 40, 50, 60 hours a week Mm -hmm. and get a really good return on investment from that energy. So sit tight, everybody. We'll be right back with more Let's Fix Work. You know I love to brag about my friends. I also like to listen to them. And right now I'm listening to Jennifer McClure, host of the Impact Makers podcast. Jennifer is connecting with leaders across all industries to figure out how to make a difference at work and in the world. Here's what she's got going on. I believe strongly that each of us has the ability and the opportunity to positively impact people through our work and through how we choose to live our lives. The truth is that you've already impacted people in this world, even if you haven't been trying. I love what Jennifer has to say. And if you like what you're hearing right here on Let's Fix Work, you'll love what Jennifer's talking about on Impact Makers. So go to jennifermcclure.net forward slash iTunes and subscribe today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. It's Lori Rudiman, and I'm here today with my dear friend, Adrian Murphy. Adrian, how are you doing? I'm great. Good. Are you feeling good? for your, You've done the first half of your first podcast. Are you feeling confident and secure? I am feeling excited and nervous and <laughs> a little bit in shock. <laughs> no, no, no. You're doing great. You're doing great. I often tell people, you know, I've done this now for about 45 days and podcasting is one of the hardest things I've ever had to learn because so much A can go wrong and B, so much emotion is just conveyed in the voice. And you have a lovely voice. You have a lovely speaking voice. Why don't you tell everybody where you're from? I am from a town called Enniskillen in Northern Ireland. And it's claimed to fame is that it had a G8 summit, which is pretty fabulous. That is fabulous. What's the weather like up there? It is cold and rainy, and there's lots of reason to stay indoors. So my extended family have restaurants and pubs, 
although they do have, I think you call it here, crazy golf. Yeah, mini golf. Mini Okay, so yes. maybe there. <laughs> yeah, mini golf. So that's when we need to get outdoors. I love it. I am, and you. I know you don't know this about me, I am a mini golf fan, a fanatic. Mm-hmm. My husband and I do it all the time. And we pretend like we're no good, and then we bring our friends into town, and we beat uh-huh. them handily. <laughs> It's like our thing. I don't know why. It's weird. (laughs) Anyway, we're here today to talk about fixing work and not my uh, weird hobbies. And I know you have something called the gender equity iceberg model. Did I get that right? You got it absolutely correct. Why don't you tell us about that? Because it's so fascinating. The gender equity iceberg is a representation of the difference between legally actionable behavior and cultural behavior that's not legally actionable. So if we take mm, sexual assault, we take sexual harassment, or we take overt discrimination, they are all legally actionable behaviors. And they're what's really focused on when we're doing risk mitigation work inside of an organization, which in my opinion is important because it's a requirement, but in terms of outcomes of limited value is what we see underneath that legally actionable behavior is cultural behaviors. So what's going on under the surface of the iceberg are these cultural behaviors that if allowed to continue are just going to generate approval and permission for the next set of legally actionable behaviors. So tell me a little bit about those cultural behaviors because those are the behaviors that are driving many women and also men out of organizations. Absolutely, women and men and impacting diversity efforts. So right under the surface of the legally actionable behaviors, we have what we've all talked about as microaggressions. They're words that are being used, actions that are being taken that are um, making other people feel uncomfortable, that they're, they're at the low end of the intimidation profile in comparison to harassment. Um, We have the double bind, which is a man, and I'm going to switch this up a little bit, a man who is emotionally available, maybe creative, is in some way dominated by alpha male behavior in a room. So if we look at the chain of command, we might see a lot of alpha males in senior leadership, but we're not really seeing the other side of the male in senior leadership. For women, it tends to be, if I'm aggressive, if I use my voice loudly, because we need to get something done, I'm going to be criticized for it. Yeah, I think that's going to be so common and so heartfelt to many of the listeners of this podcast, people who feel when they do bring their whole selves to work, it's not appreciated. There's no space for them in the work environment. Yeah. And in order to address that, one of the things that I think is important is hear yourself. And we spoke about voice, hear yourself when you're advocating for yourself. Are you anxious? Do you feel that you shouldn't be doing it? Because in addition to the words that someone else is hearing, they're hearing your own hesitancy. That's really fascinating. So you feel as if the way we are communicating is uh, there is underlying messages, even subconscious messages beyond the words that we're using. People are listening to our what tone of voice, our body language, what's involved in all that? Yeah, so they're listening to our tone of voice. They are listening to our body language. They're listening to the degree that you believe yourself. 
And I think when you're working, you said you work with animals. When you're working with an animal and you're trying to teach it to sit or to stay or to come on command, they know when you're not serious. They know when you are serious. And you know when you're serious. And I bet you can probably tell the difference in your tone of voice. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So do you, as part of your coaching practice, I I would imagine you do, work with individuals almost, uh, and you mentioned role-playing, because this is something that has to be practiced in a non-threatening space in order to be able to maximize it when you need it most in a threatening environment at work, right? You have to get good and practice getting good at advocating for yourself before you jump into a room and then try to do it in a meeting where there are real world consequences. Absolutely. So if you want to go in and advocate, then practicing with yourself, practicing with a spouse, listening to your own voice on a voice memo. I love voice memos so that you can really hear what, what am I bringing other than this thought when I put this thought into words in a room. So, and I, for me, the gender equity iceberg model is all about beginning to understand the behaviors that don't rise to the level of um, legally actionable, but that are impacting us in a way that makes us afraid to present ourselves fully. I love it. And we're going to have a link in our show notes to this model so that everybody can see it and everybody can download it and have a look at it. And I really, um, I'd like to move on from this, but keep it at the forefront of our conversation because we're talking about these behaviors that are isolating and alienating people in the workforce, both men and women and people all over the spectrum, however they identify. But I wonder who is getting work right in 2018? What do you like? What are you seeing that gives you hope? (laughs) (laughs) If anything. (laughs) This is really interesting. Uh, My next door neighbor works for, again, one of the tech companies. And he had four months paternity leave. And he split it up over the first year of his child's life. And he's getting work right. I love that. That is so good. You know, you don't need your partner home 24-7 in the early days, or maybe you do, but you uh, should have some flexibility and some choices. And I love that companies are recognizing the role of men and parenting. That's really cool. Yeah. And I think it, it opens up the space of emotional work to a whole new group of people. It gives acceptance to it. On the other hand, someone else I think is doing an amazing job, totally surprising, is Jane Harmon heads up the Wilson Center think tank in Washington, D.C. Former congressional representative, if I'm not mistaken. And just a brainiac. I mean, this woman is, uh, we will link to her as well, because this is a woman that most women should admire. And if they don't know her, they should. Okay. And the reason I think she's getting work right is over the last 10 days, she hosted a forum on the Iran nuclear deal. There were like eight men and one woman. She's there. She's hosting it through the center. And two days later, she hosted the 50-50 Women in Politics event, which is the first really impressive um, metrics around global participation of women at different levels of politics. And she also is doing EDGE certification, which is a gender equity certification that came out of kind of the Davos world. Um, And the Wilson Center is going to be the first center gender equity certified. 
Amazing. And I'm like, okay, you know what I love about you? You're systematizing values. And that gives everyone an opportunity to discuss values, incorporate them, and know, which I love, if I'm a woman and I want to be in a think tank, I'm going to her organization. Absolutely, yeah. If if I'm a man and I want to work in an equitable world, I'm going to her think tank. I really admire that as well because I think it takes powerful people, whether they're at General Electric or Microsoft or P&G or at think tanks that are respected to really set the bar for the rest of us. If you can do this kind of work in complex organizations where other really important work is happening, Mm -hmm. you can also do it in Paducah, Kentucky, and you can do it in Indianapolis, Indiana. So I love that some of this groundbreaking work is finally starting to happen, like the women at Nike that you brought up, right? Who uh, came together, really brought their concerns to the attention of management, and Nike, which is a very complex organization, is taking action. So I love it. If they can do it, and they're uh, dispersed work environments, you can do it in your 25-person shop. Yes, absolutely. Okay, I just lectured you. I'm so sorry about that. (laughs) No, I I totally agree with you. And and it's role models. We see role models out there. And you say, okay, I may not be able to do an EDGE certification, but I can sure download their roadmap. I can bring their practices into my organization. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think one of the things that I did when I worked in human resources was pick and choose from things that were already out there so I don't have to recreate the wheel and then bring them into my team off sites or share them with my client mm-hmm. groups. Just, you know, choose the things that work well within my culture and spread it that way instead of hiring a consultant to come in and do it for me. So that's, I think that's the benefit of curiosity within human resources. Well, tell me, um, you talked a little bit about Jane Harmon and how you admire her. Is there anything that's surprising you right now? And maybe tell us what you think the future of work looks like. And if that will surprise you. I think the future of work is going to be built around individuals figuring out how to do their career mapping. It's going to be the reverse of what's happened over the last 10 years, which is the aggregation of knowledge into enterprises I think someone's going to come up with a way of reversing the information so that I can use a program, plug in who I am, what I am, what my values are, and I'm going to be fed the organizations, the companies, either with full-time employment or consulting work that are optimal for me. I I love that. Yeah. I think there's some work in the technology space. There's some platforms trying to do that, Mm -hmm. but they butt up against these hierarchical structures of work that still exist where you have a VP who has a team of directors, who has a team of managers, who has a team of this, who has a team of that. And they're trying to figure out how to really um, capture a fully enabled and active employee who just wants to come in and do their best work and they aren't interested in all of that corporate drama. So I don't know. I mean, I I think you're right, but I think these structures, we need to burn them down in order for that worker to come in and do their best work. Absolutely. And the hierarchical organization at some point is going to go away simply because the talent pool that's coming in and is currently available isn't going up that ladder anymore. 
I wonder if there are uh, women that you work with who are like, forget the latter. Like, do you have any stories about these women who just are so uh, offended or find the corporate hierarchy so distasteful that they'll never go back again? Yeah. So I have, I started various small companies to try and understand what services are needed to optimize women's careers. In one of them, I ended up doing a childcare model. And I found that the women I worked with fell into four quadrants. One group were stay-at-home moms. Second quadrant were women who were highly experienced who were doing flex consulting. That's all they were ever going to do. They only take roles where they're operating at their highest level of contribution. And that's kind of how they decide whether or not they're going to take a particular job. And for some of them, it meant scaling back on homes or moving location, that there was an honest evaluation of what the total package of life was going to be, to be about. And one in particular, she's amazing, huge background in education, ran a program overseas um, where girls and boys could go away for a year and travel various continents. And when she was asked to join a board of a very nice company, she said, no, too much talk, not enough getting done. I don't have time for it. Oh, I love it. She knows who she is. She knows who she is and she knows what values she wants to create in the world. And she's willing to sit down every two years and take a look at it again. And I, maybe I'm just a super hopeful person because I believe that the generation of women who are around now have influenced a generation of everyone, not just women. They've influenced men to say, hey, you know what? I miss that I miss the kids' gymnastics. I miss that I didn't get to go on that um, ship with you where you were out doing volunteer work for a sanctuary bay. I, I'm missing life. And I'm conscious now that I see you blending, that I can blend too. And I think, I'm hoping that that's going to decrease the total number of employees available to do the hierarchy thing. I love that it. Really yeah. Awesome. Yeah, that organizations will therefore need to organize more and more and more around projects. What I also think it um, avails everybody to is a different way of relating to one another at work. Because one of the saddest aspects of being a human resources blogger for the past 12 years is that people write to me nearly daily and talk about workplace conflict. So if there's one message that you can leave with our listeners today, what is it? What would you like to tell them about their careers, about the future of work, or even about gender in the workplace? I would like to leave people with a hashtag, it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. Whatever you're experiencing, if you don't like it, there are ways to make it different. You bring yourself, you look at your world, and you make choices. Doesn't mean the choices get made in a day or a week or a month, but just realizing it doesn't have to be this way opens a pathway of creativity. Oh my God, that's just good life advice. Thank you so much, Adrian. Could you tell us where we can find you on the internet and learn more about the great work that you're doing? I can be found on Twitter at Adrienne Cleona. And our website for Dimitri Murphy is dimitrimurphy.com. On our gender iceberg, we have 
Gender Equity Iceberg page on Facebook. I'm so excited to have spent this time with you today. Thank you for, thank you just so very much for joining us today. I really appreciated it. And it was great to be part of your very first podcast. Laurie, you just did my first podcast with me. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Adrienne Murphy. Now, listen, she shared a ton of information, and we're going to have all of her contact information and the gender equity iceberg in our show notes. You can find all of that wherever you get your favorite podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, Spotify, YouTube, or I don't know, wherever on the internet. Go ahead and take a look at the show notes, and please connect with me at L. Rudiman or Let's Fix Work. Let's Fix Work is a production of One Stone Creative. Audra Casino and Megan Doherty make this show great, and they've got a team of people behind them who make the show even greater. It's just amazing. I can't believe this is happening. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, rate, review, and share. If you don't like what you hear, please don't leave me a one-star rating. That totally jacks up everything. Just send me an email at hello at letsfixwork.com. And that's all for today. We'll see you next time. Thanks again for listening to Let's Fix Work. Thank you for listening to this episode of Let's Fix Work. Wouldn't you love to get your hands on Lori's no-holds-barred, honest HR handbook for employees and pros alike? Download it for free at lorirudiman.com slash DIYHR.